Lesson 12 for December 10 through to 16, Job's Redeemer. Sabbath afternoon, December 10. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming towards the end of this series on the book of Job. And we've struggled with some of the issues, but we know that you're a God who's faithful. And Job found that out as well. As we come to study this week's lesson, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Let's read that again, Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. With the sudden appearance of the Lord himself, beginning in chapter 38, the book of Job reached its climax. God revealed himself to Job in a powerful and miraculous way, and this resulted in Job's confession and contrition. The Lord then rebuked Job's three friends for their wrong words, and Job prayed for them. As it says in chapter 42, verse 10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And Job lived a long and full life afterward. There is, however, something unsettling, something unsatisfactory about the story and how it ends. God and Satan, arguing in heaven, battle it out here on earth in the life and flesh of poor Job. It just doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right, that Job would have to bear the terrible brunt of this conflict between God and Satan, while the Lord remained in heaven and simply watched it. There must be more to the story, and there is. It is revealed many centuries later in Jesus and his death on the cross. In Jesus alone we find amazing and comforting answers to the questions that the book of Job doesn't fully answer. Sunday, December 11, My Redeemer Liveth When God appeared to Job in chapter 38, he revealed himself to Job as the Creator who divided a channel for the overflowing water, the one who made a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one. That's Job 38, verses 25 and 26, or part thereof. Our Lord, though, isn't only the Creator. He has another crucial title and role as well. Question. Read Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. What do these words reveal about Job's hope of salvation? Job chapter 19, beginning at verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. With these famous verses, Job shows that 
He had some knowledge of the Redeemer, some knowledge that though people died, there was hope beyond the grave. And this hope was found in the Redeemer who was to come to the earth one day. These words of Job point to what is the most crucial and important truth in the Bible, God as our Redeemer. Yes, God is our Creator, but in a fallen world, in a world of sinners doomed to die eternally in their sins, we need more than a Creator. We need a Redeemer as well. And that's precisely who our God is, both our Creator and our Redeemer. We learn about that in Isaiah chapter 48, and it's from him in both these roles that we have the great hope of eternal life. Question. Read John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 14. In this passage, how does John tie together Jesus as creator with Jesus as our redeemer? Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The allusion to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, God as creator, is obvious in John chapter 1 verse 1. And if that weren't enough, these words, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Make the link between Jesus as creator and redeemer inseparable. Indeed, it's only because he is the creator that he can be our redeemer as well. So to finish the day, if we had only a creator but no redeemer, what hope would we have? What does your answer say about why Jesus as redeemer is so important to us? Monday, December 12, The Son of Man In the earliest chapters of Job, we were given a glimpse into the reality of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. As we know, it was a battle that started in heaven, but eventually came to the earth. Uh, Let's check um, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 
to 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fighting back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. In the book of Job, we saw that same dynamic, a conflict in heaven that comes to earth. Unfortunately for Job, that particular conflict on earth centered on him. Question. Read Job chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5. What was Job's complaint, and did he not have a point? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man, or your years as a man's years? Job's point was simple. You are God, the sovereign of the universe, the creator. How can you know what it is like to be a human, to suffer the things that we suffer? Question. How do the following texts answer Job's complaint? First of all, Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew 4.2 And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Job's complaint that God wasn't a human and therefore couldn't know human woe was answered fully and completely by the coming of Jesus into humanity. Though never losing his divinity, Jesus also was fully human, and in that humanity he knew what it was like to suffer and struggle just as Job and all humans do. In fact, all through the Gospels we see the reality of Christ's humanity and the sufferings that he went through in our humanity. Jesus answered Job's complaint. Ellen White writes in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1124, It was not a make-believe humanity that Christ took upon himself. He took human nature and lived human nature. He was not only made flesh but he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. End of quote. So to finish today, think what it means that Jesus took humanity. What should this tell you about how closely he can relate to you in any of the struggles that you are facing right now? 
Tuesday, December 13, The Death of Christ. Question. What do the following texts tell us about Jesus and how we are to view him? Well, first of all, we've got 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Without question, Jesus is the model man. His life, his character, is the example that all who follow him should seek, by God's grace, to emulate. Jesus is the only perfect example we have in terms of how to live the kind of life to which God calls us. Still, Jesus didn't come to this earth merely to give us an example. Our situation as sinners called for more than just character development as if reforming our characters and moulding us into his image is all that his work as Redeemer required. We need more than that. We need a substitute, someone to pay the penalty for our sins. He came not just to live a perfect life as an example to us all, he came also to die the death that we deserve so that his perfect life can be credited to us as our own. Question. What do the following texts teach about the necessity of Christ's death for us? First of all, we'll look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Luke 9.22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Luke 24.7, That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Jesus had to die for us because obedience to the law, though central to the Christian life, is not what saves the fallen. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Galatians 3.21 If any law could save a sinner, it would be God's. But even that law can't save us. Only the perfect life of our perfect example, Jesus, could save us. And so... Christ came to offer himself, as it says in Hebrews 10.12, one sacrifice for sins forever. And so to finish today, how does your own record of law-keeping show you your need of a substitute? Wednesday, December 14, The Sufferings of the Son of Man 
Question. Read Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through to 6. What does this tell us about the sufferings of the Lord on the cross? Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 1 to 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 verse 4 said that Jesus bore our griefs and sorrows. That must include Job's griefs and sorrows as well. And not just Job's, but the whole world's. It was for the sin of all humans who ever lived that Jesus died on the cross. Only at the cross can the book of Job be put into proper perspective. Here we have the same God who revealed himself to Job, the God who teaches the eagle to fly, the God who binds the quarks, suffering more than any human being, even Job, even suffered or could suffer. The griefs and sorrows that we know individually, he assumed corporately. No one, then, can lecture God on suffering, not when he in humanity bore in himself the full brunt of all the suffering that sin has spread around the globe. We know only our own griefs, only our own sorrows. At the cross, Jesus experienced them all. The God who asked Job in Job 38.33, Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? becomes more incredible when we realize that, though he created the ordinances of heaven, he also took upon himself earthly flesh, and in that flesh died so that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Viewed through the cross, the book of Job makes more sense than it does without it because the cross answers many questions that the book leaves unanswered. And the biggest question of all deals with how fair it is for God to be up in heaven while Job on earth is forced to suffer as he does, all in order to help refute Satan's charges. The cross shows that no matter how badly Job or any human being suffers in this world, our Lord voluntarily suffered so much worse than any of us could, all in order to give us the hope and promise of salvation. Job saw God as creator. After the cross, we see him as creator and redeemer, or particularly the creator who became our redeemer, as you know in those well-known verses of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, 
and it goes on to describe it all. And to do that, he had to suffer from sin in ways that no human being, Job included, would or could ever suffer. Thus, like Job, only more so, what can we do before such a sight but exclaim, as it says in Job 42.6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Thursday, December 15, Satan Unmasked. Question, read John chapter 12, verses 30 to 32. What is Jesus saying about Satan in the context of the cross and the great controversy? John chapter 12, verse 30 begins, Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light... Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. After talking about the death of Jesus on the cross, Ellen White wrote about the powerful impact it had in heaven and for the onlooking universe. We read this in The Great Controversy, page 502. Satan's lying charges against the divine character and government appeared in their true light. He had accused God of seeking merely the exaltation of himself in requiring submission and obedience from his creatures, and had declared that, while the Creator exacted self-denial from all others, he himself practiced no self-denial and made no sacrifice. Now it was seen that for the salvation of a fallen and sinful race, the ruler of the universe had made the greatest sacrifice which love could make. For, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It was seen also that while Lucifer had opened the door for the entrance of sin by his desire for honour and supremacy, Christ had, in order to destroy sin, humbled himself and became obedient unto death. End of quote. Question. Read Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. How did Christ's death reconcile the fallen world to God? Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 reads, That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The world had fallen into sin, into rebellion. It had left itself open to the schemes of Satan as so clearly seen, by example, in the book of Job. Jesus, though, 
by his taking hold of humanity in himself while never losing his divinity, formed an unbreakable bond between heaven and earth, and with his death guaranteed the final demise of sin and Satan. At the cross, Jesus paid the legal penalty for sin, thus reconciling the fallen world to God. Though we are sinners condemned to death, by faith we can have the promise of eternal life in Jesus. And so, to finish the day, whatever sins you have committed, Jesus paid the full penalty for them at the cross. Why should this amazing truth change your life and cause you to want to live in obedience to Him? Friday, December 16. Quoting from The Desire of Ages, page 625 and 626. Now is the judgment of this world, Christ continued. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. This is the crisis of the world. If I become the propitiation for the sins of men, the world will be lighted up. Satan's hold upon the souls of men will be broken. The defaced image of God will be restored in humanity, and a family of believing saints will finally inherit the heavenly home. This is the result of Christ's death. The Saviour is lost in contemplation of the scene of triumph called up before him. He sees the cross, the cruel, ignominious cross, with all its attending horrors, blazing with glory. But the work of human redemption is not all that is accomplished by the cross. The love of God is manifested to the universe. The prince of this world is cast out. The accusations which Satan has brought against God are refuted. The reproach which he has cast upon heaven is forever removed. Angels, as well as men, are drawn to the Redeemer. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what are other ways that you can think of regarding how the life and death of Jesus answered questions that the book of Job left unanswered? Two, think over what the cross reveals to us about the character of God, especially when we realize that the one who created us was the one who died for us on the cross. Why should this reality give us so much hope and comfort regardless of whatever trials we are facing? How can this amazing truth teach us to trust in God and in His goodness? And we're going to check a text here. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him Graciously give us all things. And question number three. As we saw, the book of Job showed, among other things, that the great controversy is a cosmic issue and that the conflict between Christ and Satan has a dimension that goes beyond the earth itself. Imagine what it must have been like for heavenly creatures who knew Jesus only in his heavenly glory to see him go through what he did on the cross. How can dwelling on this amazing idea help us to come to a great appreciation of what we have been given 
in Jesus. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Waking Up My Heart, Part 1 And it's to be continued next week, but let's start Waking Up My Heart I grew up in a caring, intellectually stimulating home My parents treated my brother and me with respect We were never hungry and always had what we needed But religion wasn't part of our home I never considered that anything or anyone might actually exist somewhere beyond my tangible world. I never dreamed God could speak to me. My parents quarrelled a lot, and when I was ten years old, they divorced. Father had a top-secret job in the army, and mother was a clerk at the town hall. After the divorce, my brother and I lived with our mother. There I finished high school and planned for my future. One day I met a former schoolmate on the street of our town. We weren't close friends, but we shared a similar philosophy of life. I was surprised when he started talking about religion. Right there in the street, Cavetto began telling me about Jesus Christ, about God's love for me, and about the Bible and prophecy. He spoke enthusiastically, and I became embarrassed as passers-by stared at us. Soon I had heard enough. I excused myself and walked on, wondering what had changed Cavetto so radically. I met Cavetto on the street several times soon after that. Each time we met, he turned the topic of our conversation to religion. He spoke, I listened, and from time to time I tried to outwit him with a question I didn't think he could answer. But my lack of religious training and knowledge of the Bible was no match for Cavetto's newfound Christian zeal. Each time we met, Cavetto invited me to his house to study prophecy. Finally, I agreed to go. While Cavetto wanted to prove that God exists, I was more interested in proving that he didn't. I told him I thought the Bible could have been written by anybody and that it certainly wasn't true. I wanted to set Cavetto straight. Cavetto always prayed before we opened the Bible, and later he admitted that he prayed after I left his house. As we began studying the prophecies, I felt a growing curiosity about what the Bible had to say about the future. We studied the books of Daniel and Revelation and some writings of Ellen G. White. Then something strange happened. I came home from a Bible study and began to pray, by myself, alone, for the first time in my life. I didn't have anything special to say in my prayer. I simply found myself reaching out to make contact with the power of the universe. And this story will continue next week. This lesson was recorded in Miami after attending the beautiful Miami Temple Church just south of the Miami International Airport. I had a great time meeting with people who listened to this podcast of the Sabbath School Lesson. Thank you for listening too.